this was something that was born out of uh, me working with a sponsee years ago here in Scottsdale and God took it and moved it into something much, much uh, more dynamic. I'm so grateful to be here. It is February the 6th, 2021. I've got two housekeeping things that I wanna remind you of. One is gonna occur next week and the other one is gonna occur March the 14th. Next weekend, we will not be meeting at this time. We're gonna be going by the magic of Zoom to Athens, Greece. And while we're there, we're gonna do a retreat and that's gonna to have to be translated. So it goes a little slower, but you can still get, you know, still get some meaning from it. We're gonna do that two hours earlier than we normally meet. If you care to join us in Athens, Greece next week, that is gonna take place mountain time from 8 a.m. to 11 Somebody's unmuted Maria, so or Karen or Nancy or somebody. Okay, fine. Now that's gonna take place next weekend. And I believe we're gonna have somebody on the Zoom channel that if somebody does forget or they didn't know that they will be reminded that why we're not here and that we will come back the following week. I do not have the passcodes and numbers for the Greek retreat, but Betty does. Betty in Washington State does. And I believe she will post that in the chat for anyone who wants that. So Betty, if you would post that, that would be awesome for the Greek retreat next weekend. Now, I just wanna give you a reminder that coming up in just a month and a half on March the 14th, America will switch to daylight savings time. Now, some of the, Euro or the European people will not because I know you switch at a different time, but on March the 14th, beginning then and going all the way till November of neck of this year, sorry, of this year, everything is going to start one hour later. So unless you are in the state of Arizona, unless you are actually in the state of Arizona, beginning March the 14th, everything is going to start one hour hour later. And obviously, if you're in Arizona, it will start the same time that it always does. And this not only takes, uh, this is not only the rule for this meeting, but if you join us for our Sunday through Thursday meetings, uh, that will be the case as well. Everything will begin one hour later, unless you're in the state of Arizona. I know it's a little confusing because Arizona is a little weird that way. They don't observe or they don't follow daylight savings time. Okay, that said, we are talking about step nine and we have talked about Oh, we've talked about some of the things that happened to us on the way to a spiritual awakening. And three things that happen on the way to a spiritual awakening are, we get right with God, right with ourselves, and right with our fellow human beings. And this is part of the process where we can look the world in the eye, where we can walk down the street and greet our fellow human being without the guilt, the shame, and the remorse that has plagued us, the fear, the anger that has plagued us from for many, many years, for me going back all the way into, into my childhood. So we can now look the world in the eye. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And some of the things that I've reminded you of in the past, I want to remind you of today. Step nine is not unique unto itself in any way, shape, or form. But like the other steps, it requires informed sponsorship. If you are going out by yourself, just willy-nilly making amends, oftentimes you will create more harm than you originally created. 
And so we're going to look at that as being something to take seriously, that we need sponsorship. Okay, we're on page 78, but before we get to page 78, as we always do, we're gonna take a little bit of a review. We have done a fourth step inventory and we took our fourth step inventory and we um, looked at this and we looked at the people that we've harmed. We've looked at the people that we have, we have crossed paths with where there is a resentment, where there is a harm. And this is what we're doing is we're, we're writing that to the best of our human ability. We cannot write all the harms that we've done. Some, some people cannot be reached. They're dead. They're this, they're that. We're going to talk about that today, but we're going to do the very best we can, as I say, to get right with God, right with ourselves and right with our fellow human being. And this is a cathartic process. This is a very, very cathartic process. And it is so amazingly cathartic. It is so amazingly beautiful of a process that, this, that what we call the, the promises, now there's promises all through this book, but what we say the promises or the promises come after step nine. So let's take a look at page 78 and let's take a look at the paragraph at the bottom of the page that says, perhaps we have committed. I'll give you a second to get there. And while you're getting there in your books, this is the fourth edition, perhaps we have committed a criminal offense. Okay, let's continue. It is page 78, bottom of the page, perhaps we have committed a criminal offense which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we are sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony to number one. She's indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble too. Let's stop right there and just talk for just a second. This is very, very important that we have the courage to do what it is that we need to do. We must be forthright. We must have that confidence, that courage. And that means we're gonna to have to have a reliance upon our higher power. Very, very important that we have a relationship with God that is ongoing and expansive and trusting and loving because we cannot go into these things without that kind of trust in a higher power. There are things that happen in all of our lives that we deeply regret. I don't think that that's a, a condition of addiction. I think that's more a condition of being a human being. And no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never ever rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, I'm gonna make mistakes. I'm fatally flawed in my humanity. I have said things and done things that I deeply, deeply regret. Now. There are many, many things that we can point to in our lives that may or may not be a criminal offense, although for some, maybe you did break the law, but we've done things that we deeply, deeply regret and fear and guilt and shame and remorse can imprison us. And they can imprison us to the point of absurdity where eating will be a step up from where we are. Let's remember something. Let's remember this because it's so important. And you know, the only way to really remember this is to teach it to other people. I don't get this program by absorbing spiritual information. And I'm honored that there's 180 of you on the line today. That's fantastic. And it really honors me and it honors you. But we're not going to learn much by listening to me talking. We're going to to learn infinitely more by teaching it to other people. And what is it that we need to teach them? 
that the problem of the addiction was never the food or the liquor or the drugs or the gambling or the love or the sex or the whatever it is that you are addicted to. The problem is the buildup of everyday normal human emotion. Now, all human beings have emotions. And I know that many of you are saying, my God, we've already heard him talking about this. You know, I'm going to continue to talk about this. And the reason that I'm going to continue to talk about this is because I always assume that there are 181 people here and that some of you may never have heard me before, but it doesn't hurt to review this because we have a built-in forgetter. It's right in here and it's called the mental blanks spot. And we have this feeling at times, no matter how long we've been in recovery, that if we could just lose weight or just control our food, that everything will be okay. And we learn the hard way, not so much, not so much, that the problem is the buildup of human emotion. And when I've done things that I'm ashamed of, when I've done things I fear getting caught for, when I've done things I'm angry at myself for doing, this is exactly where the disease lives. This is exactly where the disease lives. It lives in the dark corners of my soul and the dark corners of my heart where shame and guilt and darkness will drive me irresistibly back into the arms of a box of milk duds in search of relief from the intenable, unbelievable, constant, unrelenting pain that the disease will dish out. And that this disease is unrelenting to the sufferer. That the chains of this disease are too soft to be felt until they are too hard to break. And by facing these things, by facing these harms, we are emancipated by God from the shackles of the disease. But it is only through facing these things that we are released. The more I run away from these things, the worse they get. And every one of you has a life that illustrates the fact that there's nowhere to run and no place to hide. If there were, we would have found it. So we're going to remember that the problem was never the food. Food was the solution to the problem. And not everybody here is a compulsive overeater in the way that I am. I, got, I kept getting more and more and more obese. Some of you are anorexic. Some of you are bulimic. Some of you are mixtures of those things. Sometimes you go to the compulsive overeater side and sometimes you flip over to the anorexic side, the bulimic side. But I constantly was overeating, overeating, overeating. And for some of you, it may be different, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You see, what we were looking for was what Dr. Silkworth calls the effect. And what is that effect? The effect is that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating the food and the food does something for me that it does not do for the normal eater. Food will give me an instant sense of ease and comfort and it will change the reality of my existence. Kit Kat bars, Girl Scout cookies, French fries, pizza, what have you, will instantly change my perception of reality like nothing else. That's why I eat it.
I'm not eating it because I consciously want to say, you know, I could be even fatter. I could be even less attractive to women. Gosh, I might bust out of these pants too. No, I never said that. I ate and I tried to talk myself out of it, but I ate food almost, if when you say this to normies, they don't get it, almost against my will. I was sort of drawn by a force to eat that food. And I really thought I was just getting sucked into a drain. I didn't want to be doing what I was doing, but I couldn't suffer the pain anymore. So with this in mind, that food was the solution to the problem, when we embark upon this crucial step, what happens is we start to see how these emotions of guilt and shame and remorse and all these other various things start to subside because we start to show ourselves into the sunlight of the spirit and the urge to eat simply is not there. It simply isn't there. So we must continue to move forward in our program of recovery. There's no standing still. Page 79, although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some great pr general principles which we find guiding. Reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any length to find a spiritual experience, we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences might be. Now, when I looked at the, at the restitutions that I had to make in my life, when I looked at what was going on in my life, I knew that 100% really of my I never kissed anybody's wife. Dang it. I never kissed anybody's girlfriend. I never, I never engaged in those things. Some of you have. I'm not downplaying that, but that just wasn't my story. But when it says here, no matter what the personal consequences might be, I was afraid of going broke because I was just at a level where I was paying my bills and all of a sudden now I'm in recovery and I've got to go back and make good on the bad checks that I wrote. I've got to go back and face people that I lied to. I have to go back and face people that I had done things to that I was ashamed of. And this is the kind of emotion that can keep me in hell. And this is why, again, I absolutely need step 10 as I'm doing step nine. And one of the biggest mistakes I see today in sponsorship, in OA, I don't know how it is in AA, but what I do know is I see people trying to get through the ninth step without the use of 10 and 11. And for me, it cannot be done because I need a place. I need a pressure valve for the guilt, the shame and the remorse and, and the out and out fear that I have in facing the people, facing the memories and facing the lies that I told. And so I absolutely have to have step 10. It is imperative that I have sponsorship that gets me started on 10 so that I don't have to rely upon my own unsteady willpower or my own unsteady mind to get me through this. And if the guy behind me that's speaking there, Bill W., if he were here, he would say the same thing, that without 10, there's no way I'm going to get through nine. Now, this is very important too. We have decided to go to any lengths. This is the second time in this chapter that something is being referred to that we are originally um, uh, introduced to on page 58 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what does it say on page 58? It's a little line that I like to call step zero. And it's three quarters of the way down the page on page 58. And it simply says, if you have decided you want what we have, 
and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. I'm gonna be back on page 79 now. If you've decided you want what we have, what is it that we have? Now you may say if you're new, Oh, these people, they're a bunch of people that are not eating compulsively. Yeah, we hope that's true. I hope to heck that's true. But it goes further than that, guys. What it goes to, and this is very important, it goes to a group of people that are not eating compulsively. And because of a spiritual awakening that they have had, and I am one of them, as the result of these steps, we are not eating compulsively and we are doing so happily. That we are happy in our release from the desire to kill ourselves with food. And if you are looking to be happy in your release, if you are looking to be happy in your, in your recovery, you are going to have to do these amends. So if it says, if you want what we have, we're happily released through the spiritual awakening and you're willing to go to any lengths to get it, willing to go to any lengths to get it, Boys and girls means more than you don't put milk duds in your buttered popcorn with extra, extra butter at the movies. We go beyond that. This is not a diet and calories club. It is a 12-step recovery program. And in recovery, we are going to repair things in our lives that many of us did not even know were broken. There are areas in my life today where I am enjoying healing and repair, and I am enjoying freedom, and I didn't even know that these things were broken. And so it becomes absolutely necessary to say to myself, I am willing to do what it takes. I'm willing to go to any lengths to get this. Okay, let's continue. We may, I'm on page 79. We may lose our position. It's not the beginning of a paragraph. It's the last couple of sentences of the paragraph. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. God is everything or he's nothing. You either trust God or you don't. You either trust this process or you don't. Now, some of us, these amends can be very, very difficult and gut-wrenching, and for some of us not. I don't know what your situation is. <sighs> I do know, however, that in my life, I have everything I have seen it all. Everything this side of first degree murder, I have seen. Everything below the line of first degree murder, I have dealt with it in my life. Not my life, but the people that I've sponsored, the people that I've worked with, the people that I've talked to. Let God be the arbiter of where your life goes. Trust this process. But for the love of God, please don't go out making any amends until you run it past your sponsor. Okay, but don't delay. Delaying this is very, very dangerous. Usually, however, other people are involved. I'm in the middle of 79. Usually other people, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we are not to be the hasty or foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. We have no right to harm other people. We're gonna to get to that in a little bit more of an expanded explanation very soon. A man we know had remarried because of resentment and drinking. He had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life and had secured a position and was getting his head above water. 
It would not have been, it would have been impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, here I am, take me to jail. We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did and also sent a small amount of money. Now this small amount of money is a demonstration of amends. Now again and again and again, I have to reinforce to my sponsees that being sorry is not enough. I have to show contrition if I, if I owe money and I cannot pay it all back at the same time, I start making payments. I start showing. To amend means to change. We don't apologize to the Constitution. We amend the Constitution. And what does amend mean? It means to repair. To mend means to repair. Amends means we repair. So we have to show that, and that's very important to point out, that he, uh, excuse me, that he sent a small amount of money that shows that he's willing to do what it takes. He told her what he would try to do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course, she did not, and the whole situation has since been adjusted. Top of 80. So we have to continue to show this contrition. We have to continue to demonstrate. What does demonstrate means mean? To demonstrate means to show without words, to demonstrate through action, teaching through action. What do they say in medicine? Watch one, do one, teach one, and that's how you, that's how you learn. Watch one, do one, teach one. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. I have permission to tell you this story. And this is a story which illustrates this beautifully. We do not implicate other people without their consent. I wanna tell you the story of a man that I've sponsored for a very, very long time. And he and I are very dear friends. I love him and he hopefully loves me. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. And he is a surgeon and he lives in a part of Texas that's very near the Gulf of Mexico. And when he came into his own as a surgeon he and two, two guys that he knew from medical school who also practiced the same specialty, they went into business for themselves as surgeons, three of them. And they had a beautiful practice. And one of the wives, not his wife, but another one of the wives ran the practice. And she was very good at running the practice. She was very, very good at what was happening. And she made the appointments and she had other people that answered to her and so on and so forth. As time went on, she could not handle what was happening here. There were kids and she had to go here and she had to go there. She couldn't really handle the practice as it was. And they hired an outside agency to run their surgical practice. Not long after hiring this agency, they started making a lot more money than they had ever made before. But the deal that they had with this group was that the group was in for a percentage of the profits, okay? Well, what this guy that I've sponsored, he came to find out is that there was skullduggery afoot. This agency was billing Medicare, billing Medicaid, billing the welfare in Texas and billing social security and disability. And they were not always forthcoming in how they were doing it. And everybody was making money hand over fist. And he called a meeting of doctors only because he was in recovery now, he's multiply addicted, but food was the last house on the block for him. And he called a meeting and he said, look guys, 
this is crazy. We're going to go to jail. What the heck is going on here? What did we, what did we do? What's going on here? We've got to put this to a stop. And they said to him, you do anything to put this to a stop and we'll, we'll kill you. We'll blame it on you. Don't you dare do anything. Don't you dare put this to a stop. Are you crazy? I just bought my wife a, a car and I, we're buying a house and we're buying this and we're, don't you dare do any of that. And he left the practice. And he cannot go make amends because he's going to implicate other people, two other surgeons. And he does not have their permission to do so. And he's been in a psych hospital three or four times for 45 days at a crack. And he lives with this every day and he's given to charity and he's doing this and he's doing pro bono work and he went to Rhodesia or, or Darfur, Darfur uh, and he's gone here and he's gone there. Is it Darfur or Darfur? Or Darfur? I'm not sure. It's D-A-R-F-U-R. But anyway, I know he went there for a long time and he did this and he did that and he cannot implicate them because he does not have their permission but he is at the ready to make these amends should that opportunity come up. But he sold his position in the, in the practice to these other two surgeons and they bought him out and he practices on his own and he makes sure that he kept his association with the hospitals and he makes sure that everything is above board. He makes sure that everything is known to him that's going on. We do not have the right to use that as an excuse. And we do not have the right to harm or implicate other people. You need good sponsorship. Without good sponsorship, oftentimes we can actually create more problems than we originally created in our disease. We need guidance. Ask God to help and the drastic step is indicated. We must not shrink. How free do you want to be? How free do you want to be? Do you want to be stark, raving, abstinent, swinging from the chandeliers, not eating? I'm not eating. I'm not eating. That's not recovery. That's dieting with group support. That's not recovery. Going home and not eating. Is that the way you can, can you, is that the way you want to live your life? I'm going to go home and not eat. Oh, <gasps> That's not living. That's not recovery. I'm home and I'm not eating and I'm really okay with that. And yeah, around the time that I get done with this, I'm gonna have lunch and then eventually I'll have dinner and that's great. You know, I get hungry at mealtime just like anybody else. But I haven't gotten up in the middle of the night to eat in 22 years. I don't fight food. And food doesn't fight me. Yes, there are times when a thought will go through my mind. Yes, absolutely it will. I'll smell something. I'll see something. I'll see a commercial. I'll think a thought, whatever. You know, I know you Europeans may not appreciate this, but tomorrow is one of the eating days of the century. It's the Super Bowl. Oh my God. Was there ever a better eating, drinking holiday that you could think of as the Super Bowl? And they have all forms of recipes and all forms of, of specials and get your Doritos here and get the chips and get the dip and get the this and get the, oh my God, tomorrow is like Thanksgiving on the cheap. 
It's all, you know, junk food, cheap junk food is what it is. I'm going to watch the game. Whatever. I'm not going to gamble on it. And I'm not going to eat my head off. Yeah, I'll have dinner. The game starts at 4.30. That's around the time, 4, 4.30 that I have dinner. And then I won't. I'm not going to think about it. Hopefully I won't. I can tell you what tomorrow is going to be like. But if tomorrow is anything like yesterday or today, I'm not going to be obsessing about it. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it happens. Not just step nine, but in the willingness to do whatever it may take. This brings to, and I'm on page 80. This brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. He felt that he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had a place, he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again. I'm going to read that sentence again because it's very, very important. I want you to pay attention. If you're sleeping, wake up. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again. Do you remember at the very beginning, your sponsor asked you if you were willing to go to any lengths for victory over this? Do you remember when you had been reading in this book that it was agreed at the beginning that you would go to any lengths for victory over, over alcohol? Did you think that just meant that you'd have to exercise willpower? Did you think that that just meant you know, that you didn't eat. No, it goes beyond that. Because in order to really place myself unreservedly in God's protection and care in his hands, I'm going to have to take action after action, after action, after action. And some of that action is going to scare me. And some of that action is going to bring about guilt, shame, fear, remorse, anger, it's going to make me question myself as a human being. It's going to give me shivers just thinking about what it is I've done in the past. I have to be willing to do whatever it may take or I'm not going to recover. I'm going to say that again. I have to be willing to do whatever it may take or I am not going to recover. You can spin it any way you want to spin it. You can think about it in any way you want to think about it, but that is the fact. What are the four impediments? And I've changed one word in the way I describe these impediments, okay? Listen to the change. It's going to come in the third impediment. A resentment that I will not let go of. I'm not going to make amends to that witch. She threw me out. She this, she that. She broke up with me or she divorced me or she whatever. No, 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 no. It doesn't say that. It says we make amends. We do whatever. A resentment that you will not let go of. What are you hanging on to? I got a call this morning from somebody who really doesn't want to make an amends because they still have a resentment against the person. And I flat out said to them, you won't recover under that, under those situations. You just won't. Is this the hill you want to die on? 
You want to hold on to that resentment? Here's what that resentment is doing for you, not to you, for you. It's giving you an out that you don't have to do what it takes. It's giving you an out because you can assign the blame to other people or person. And you can say in your mind, if that person hadn't treated me so terribly, I wouldn't be where I am today. And it's their fault. No, it's not. You're an adult now. You're an adult and you're going to have to accept responsibility for turning your will and life over to God. A resentment that you will not let go of. We don't forgive because the person deserves to be forgiven in some cases. We forgive because we deserve not to be angry anymore. Is this the hill you want to die on? a resentment that you will not let go of, step four, a secret that you will not tell, step five, a harmful thrill that you will not stop. That's the word I changed. Harmful thrill that you will not stop. That means lying, cheating, stealing, backstabbing, all these other things, adultery, all these other things of a, a, a harmful thrill that you will not stop. And last but not least, that's step six and seven. Last but not least, that correspond to step eight and nine, a restitution that you will not make. The minute I start telling God, myself and sponsor, what I'm not going to do, I am moving toward the food at light speed. I'm either moving toward God or moving toward the food in everything I do, guys. Everything I do, ladies and gentlemen, I'm either moving toward God or I am moving toward the food and there's no middle ground. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action met widespread approval and today he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. What are you willing to do? Is there anything you're not willing to do? Because if there's anything you're not willing to do, let's not waste time. I have to be all in or I'm all out. Be all in. Trust God. Walk to God. Let him prove himself to you. Let him run to you. Let him pick you up as you would a struggling toddler and let him throw you into his arms and let him hug you and kiss you and be with you and protect you. You will find that this tendency we have to catastrophize everything is simply not true. And even if it is, there's a way around it in God world. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we gonna do about such a thing, a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he is married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone to hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She 
will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further, though there may be justifiable exceptions and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we often found this is the best course to take. Now, I wanna give you a little history on where this part of the step comes from of except when to do so would injure them or others. Now, we have two people in program, early, early program, when they, we were still with the Oxford group named Eddie G. There's Eddie, Eddie G. Ernie G, sorry, Ernie G, not Eddie, Ernie G, Ernie Gerhardt, he married Dr. Bob's daughter and he struggled with his sobriety. He struggled on and off. Ernie or Ernie Galbraith, he, he married Dr. Bob's daughter. Dr. Bob was quoted as saying, it's very hard to walk your daughter down the aisle and give her to a man whose fourth step you've heard. So that's something. But there was another Ernie G. There was another person. And his name was Ernie Gehrig, like the baseball player, Lou Gehrig. His name was Gehrig. And he was from Ypsilanti, Michigan. And he was quite the alcoholic, but he was very, very popular with the ladies. They loved old Ernie. Boy, did they love him. And one day they found themselves living in Toledo, Ohio. He went down to Toledo, Ohio with his very beautiful young wife. And they went down there. And not long after they got down there, they got down there in about 1935, 36. And Ernie was running around and having girlfriends and all this other stuff in Toledo too. So the geographic didn't help. And his wife found out about a doctor in Akron, Ohio, that was curing drunks. And right about the time that Bill Wilson left the Smith home in September of 35, the Gehrigs got to Akron, Ohio, and Ernie was taken by the ear to see this doctor who was fixing drunks. And he went to see Dr. Bob, and Dr. Bob spoke to him, and Dr. Bob you know, tried to take him through the steps and so on and so forth. And they came to live with the Smiths because they had nowhere else to live. They had nowhere else to go. And they were living there. And it was a, it was a Friday night and um, they were going to the Oxford group meeting and Ernie's wife, this pretty little thing, Ernie's wife, she confessed to some of the women in the Oxford group meeting that Friday night, there was a meeting at the home of T. Henry and Clarice Williams home. She confessed in the kitchen to some of the Oxford group ladies that she was sick and tired of Ernie's philandering and she had a boyfriend. She got herself a boyfriend. If the hell he wasn't coming home and doing the job, she was going to get herself a boyfriend. And she did. And the Oxford group women stopped making coffee and stopped chopping vegetables and stopped preparing for the after Oxford group sort of uh, repartee. And they said to her, you've got to go home and you've got to make amends for what you've done. Now, remember, Ernie knew nothing of this. The next day was Saturday. She hadn't made her amends yet. She hadn't made her restitution yet. Very rainy Saturday in the fall of 35. And Dr. Bob and Ann Smith had taken the car and they were going grocery shopping in Akron with the car. And it was about uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, rainy Saturday. You know how those fall rainy Saturdays are in the Midwest. They're just perfect for napping, sleeping, resting, whatever. And you don't get too many of those days here in Arizona, but I digress. She says to him that she had a boyfriend and she was going to fix his wagon and that she was tired of his philandering and she had herself a boyfriend and he flipped out. He knew nothing of this. He goes in the kitchen 
and he grabs a kitchen knife. It's a good thing she's a fast runner because he's trying to kill her with the knife and she's outrunning him, which is hard to do. It's a very small house. I hope each and every one of you will get to Akron, Ohio, get to Ardmore Street and visit the home. It's a small little modest house, but she's running her butt off and staying ahead of him and she, he didn't get to stab her. In walks Dr. Bob and Ann Smith, arms full of grocery bags. Dr. Bob sees what's going on here, tries to grab the knife away from Ernie Gehrig. Ernie, in, in his last ditch, he's trying to stab Ann Smith because Ann's screaming and trying to get the knife. He's trying to stab Dr. Bob's wife, trying to stab Dr. Bob, trying to kill his wife. He's enraged because his wife has a boyfriend. Forget the fact that he's had a million girlfriends. And Dr. Bob told them that they had to leave the house immediately, that they could no longer stay there. Now, you've heard me say this many, many times, many times. Every time I walk into a meeting of alcohol, of Overeaters Anonymous, I walk in on the shoulders of giants. Now, don't assume that every one of those giants was like Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob and Dr. Silkworth and, 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 Jimmy Burwell and Fitz Mayo and Archie Throwbridge and Earl Treat and, and Sylvia Kaufman and Marty Mann, because those people stayed sober, but we owe a debt of gratitude to the multitudes of people who did not stay sober, who died in the disease, but they serve as cautionary tales and they came in and they changed what we have today as a program for the better. And Ernie was one of those people. Ernie would get drunk and get sober and get drunk and get sober. He ended up in a mental institution up in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and he did get sober at different times of his life. But his story changed our program forever so that today it says very clearly may direct amends to such people that we have harmed, except when to do so would injure them or others. And this is another reason why we have to have a sponsor that understands that rushes to, to, to help us, not one of these people who are available two, three days a week or what, that's not sponsorship that, from where I sit. I have access to my sponsor seven days a week. My sponsees have access to me seven days a week. I call my sponsor every day. My sponsees, not all the time, my sponsees call me every day. I need guidance. I don't know how to get out of my own way by myself. And Ernie Gehrig's name is not in the book. And Ernie Gehrig will never have a statue of him outside Wrigley Field. Ernie Gehrig will never have a picture at the AA archives, but he changed the way we do our program forever. Use discretion but use your sponsor. Your sponsor has objectivity. Don't tell me you can't make financial reparation because you're afraid your wife won't have whatever. You have to own up to what we did. We have to own up to what we did. Your, your husband will be fine. Your wife will be fine. God will provide for us but we have to be ready and willing to do whatever it takes, except when to do so would injure them or others. And so it becomes necessary to pray. It becomes necessary to ask, to reach for help. 
And for so many of us, it is just so dang difficult to ask for help. We need help. I cannot do this by myself. A solitary self-appraisal proved insufficient. Let's go to the bottom of 81. We're over 200 people. Wow, we, I just noticed that. 202 people, that's a lot of people. I'm glad you guys are here. It would be foolish of me to open this up and talk to myself. That would be ridiculous. So I'm glad there's somebody out there. Bottom of 81, guys. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It is as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. If it is better, however, that one does not needlessly name any person upon whom she can vent jealousy. In other words, be as forthcoming as you have to be, but not beyond that. Don't give addresses, phone numbers, email addresses. It's not right. It's not right to implicate another person. It's just not right. It causes more harm than it, than it solves. Page 82, perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. In other words, if she already knows that you've been carrying on with Susan or Mary or Kathy or whoever, uh, you know, then it's, it's a different ballgame. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. There's a new concept for me as an addict, as an immature person, as a person who from the time I was born has been tantruming with a knife and a fork to pray with the other person uppermost in mind is foreign to my nature. And it calls us back to page 62. He is the director. He is the principal. We are the agents. He is the father. We are his children. I'm not going to pray for my own selfish ends. Go to page 80, 87. Go to page 14, 13, excuse me, 13. What does it say? We do not pray for our own selfish ends. And this is so foreign to my nature is to pray for something with the other person uppermost in mind. That is not the way my mind, my ego, it's not the way I work. I want what I want. I want to be taken care of. I can't stand that son of a bitch. I'm going to make amends to who? For what? Over my dead body. That's my brain. That's my ego. That's my disease. And that's where Girl Scout cookies and French fries and pizza lives. Guys, there's somebody unmuted. Okay, that's where these things live, is in the buildup of human emotion. Keeping, keep it always in sight that we are dealing with that, with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Jealousy is a form of fear. If, if he has a girlfriend, then I can't have a girlfriend because Lord knows there's only one woman on the face of the earth. If he has a lot of money, then I can't have a lot of money. God is abundant. God's world is an abundant world with lots of things for everybody. But in my catastrophizing human mind, my sick mind, there's a limitation to good things in the world. And if he has it, I can't have it. And that's just not so. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk a face-to-face -face combat. If we have no, no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Some, this will be the last paragraph we'll cover and then we'll open it up. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. <clears throat> Certainly he must keep sober for there will be no home if he doesn't. 
but he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patient mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. So let's take a look at what we've done today. We've looked at these ninth step amends and primarily what we've looked at are the toughest of the amends. We've looked at these things and we've said to ourselves, we must be willing to go to any length. And if we're not, then we are not going to recover. And it's just that simple and yet that complicated. So we have a couple of things that I want to remind you of, and then I'm going to turn it back to Maria. Number one, next week, we are meeting two hours earlier, if you're coming with us to Athens, Greece. You're all invited. You're all invited to come with us to Athens. It's going to be two hours earlier because we have to allow for the time difference. And the other thing I want to remind you of again, March the 14th, the United States goes to daylight savings time, except for Arizona and Hawaii, but Hawaii won't affect us. In Arizona, the meetings will all start at the same time they do now. If you are not in Arizona, if you are anywhere but Arizona, all these meetings will start one hour later than they, than they do now. Okay, with that in mind,